It's time for Talking Tauntauns! Your Star Wars source at AIPTcomics.com Hey, what's up everybody? Welcome to another episode of Talking Tauntauns. I am JJ Travers and I'm joined today, as always, by Jim Lahane and Connor Christensen. Connor has recovered. He's not dead. He's back. He's healthy. We don't Uh, think he has coronavirus, but he may have coronas. Yeah, I got, I've got a couple, especially here on Super Bowl Sunday. And I wouldn't also say that I'm healthy. I think that's a bit of a stretch. Uh, but I'm not actively sick. So, uh, yeah, he, he's healthy enough to be here, which I'm sure yeah, you're all yeah. thrilled about. There we go. I like that. Uh, we're going to have part two for you today of our talk with Abel Pena, where he's going to be talking the history of The Mandalorian uh, that he wrote that kind of exploded the fan base's love for the Mandalorians uh, and helped, you know, kind of kickstart to what brought us to the Mandalorian TV series. So uh, it's a really good interview. Uh, he really gets in depth with uh, his history with uh, being a Star Wars writer. Uh, and it's a really great conversation. So we're going to do a few news pieces and then uh, we'll get into the interview. So stick around. Uh, you don't want to miss it. A lot of Legends nuggets that he drops. Yes, pretty much oh. entirely Legends nuggets. Oh, I've had some Legend nuggets, let me tell you. This is a, a family-friendly show, Connor. Sorry, little little potty humor for the, there you go. the, for the late crowd. Um, yeah, so let's get into the news and then we'll get to our interview. Uh, so right off the bat, uh, there was a... Site that I I'm not gonna trash anybody here, but there was a less than <laughs> because reputable. Because the rest of the the rest of the internet trashes this site. <laughs> yeah, there was a less than reputable site that ran a story recently that uh, the Obi upcoming Obi Wan Disney Plus series was canceled. Uh, pretty much the entire uh, Star Wars community united to <laughs> bring the hammer down on this site uh, and just talk about how this was completely false information that was baseless um so if you heard this don't worry it's not true what is however true, <laughs> yes but there is bad news <laughs> uh i mean i don't even know that i consider it bad personally I, yeah but, i think I th- we'll get into it yeah uh what what did happen is production is on hold or delayed whatever you want to call it um so Ewan McGregor is reprising his role as the legendary Obi-Wan Kenobi. Uh, and this is set eight years after the events of Revenge of the Sith. And they've got some really good people working on this series. Um, they have Deborah Chow, who directed, I believe, episode three of The Mandalorian. Correct. And mm-hmm. maybe one more. Uh, but yeah, she did. Yeah, I believe a... she did. I, she may have done seven as well. She yeah, if, if I'm not mistaken, she did most of the action heavy uh, episodes of Mandalorian. So um, I don't know if that says the Obi Wan show is going to be super action heavy, but that's just a little little tidbit for y'all. Yeah. Um, so the screenwriter is uh, Hussein Amini. Sorry if I uh, slaughtered your last name there. Um, who wrote Drive, which is one of my favorite movies, but apparently. And this is not confirmed, but people are saying that Kathleen Kennedy was not pleased with the scripts, so they're hitting the pause button, slowing down, and getting it sorted out, which I am 100% fine with. So many people were losing their minds and freaking out, but I feel like if there's anything we've seen from Disney owning Star Wars, one of the biggest lessons that we can take from it is don't rush, slow down, and take your time. That was a big issue with the movies too. Is that like they kept they, they were sticking to those release dates, which I think harmed things in the long run. Um, especially like the the, the Force Awakens. Yeah, the Force Awakens was a big one to start, even starting with, because they they eventually pushed it back to December, but they wouldn't go any further than that. Even though JJ wanted to go further than that, and we don't know what would how that would have changed the movie, um, as the Force Awakens was a fine movie to begin with. But like the Rise of Skywalker, they wanted to push back and they weren't allowed. Solo, they wanted to push back, but they weren't allowed. And so it's a, a lot of those things that hopefully th- those lessons are coming through here. 
Yeah, um, I think <clears throat> as JJ said, it's a good idea. Um, it's the same. It's the same reaction people have like when a video game gets delayed. They want to freak out and they want to get angry, but it's like, hey, they're they're just taking their time to make sure it's good. Um, now, the one thing that I th- I think is a little worrisome is with everything that's been coming out about the Rise of Skywalker and what we know about Solo and Rogue One and the amount of reshoots uh, that were done on those movies simply because, quote-unquote, Kathleen Kennedy was unhappy. Um, I think that might be a little cause of worry for some fans, not necessarily for me, but I can understand thinking like, well, you know, Kathleen Kennedy was upset with these other two movies, she forced reshoots, and then look what happened. But I think the difference with this is this isn't, she's not doing this halfway through filming. She's doing this before they even start. So I think at the end of the day, it's it's absolutely fine. I mean, like you both said, the whole problem with Disney Star Wars is they didn't plan anything. So now they're taking their time to actually plan something out. And people are kind of upset. I think it's a little ridiculous. Um, but ultimately, it's going to be fine. Ewan McGregor on the red carpet for uh, Birds of Prey was very, very calm about the whole thing. He was like, hey, this happens in... Hollywood, like you get a script, it's not what you want, you take it back and you rewrite it, things get put on hold. Um, and I believe he also said that the show still, like the release date is still the same. Like it's not, they're, they're not pushing back when it comes out, they're just pushing back when they're getting started. So instead of it starting uh, this summer, it's going to start probably closer to this winter. So it's only a couple month delay, everything's going to be fine, Ewan McGregor is still playing Obi-Wan, so we're all going to be happy. Yeah, he, he, had, he had made some comments on jimmy kimmel i believe that said that they were going to start filming next year and uh, i i appreciate i i enjoyed the fact that he also mentioned that he has been watching the mandalorian to kind of yeah. get to kind of get like ready for the show to kind of see how live action star wars is um, made and kind of getting into that that feeling uh, I need to correct myself as well. Apparently, there was an updated report from the Hollywood Reporter, uh, and uh, Amini has been taken off the project. So uh, that individual will not be writing uh, any of the episodes, and Lucasfilm is looking to scale back from six to four episodes. Oh, really? That's it? I didn't know yeah. it was going to be that short. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but But here's the thing, like, if you have a story to tell and it only takes four episodes, just take four episodes. Like one of the biggest things that the Marvel series suffered from, especially in their later seasons on Netflix was they were stretching out these stories to try to fill, you know, the same amount of episodes with every season and every other show for defenders and Luke Cage and Jessica Jones, etc. And so many of those series could have been told in like five or six episodes. Yeah. I think, um, th- that's like the perfect analogy, JJ, because I think I think of Luke Cage season two and I think of that or it's season one even where it's like, wow, you had a 14 episode season. Eight of them were great. Six of them did not need to be there. Um, So I agree. I, I hope that the reason they're going to four is because they know they only need four. The only thing I will say, though, is it will be a little frustrating if it's four 35 minute episodes like The Mandalorian, because at that point, why not just do a movie, you know? Um, so I'm hoping the reason they're doing four and I'm hoping the reason they're doing a, a, a mini series is because it's going to be four hour and a half long episodes like most event miniseries are. So that's my my one like critique of that. But otherwise, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. If you only need four episodes, tell them four episodes. Concession. Yeah, that's a, like if you look at the Mandalorian, you, the Mandalorian is it, depending on how long these Obi-Wan episodes are. The Mandalorian could have been four episodes if they just doubled up the episodes the length mm-hmm. of the episodes and they still wouldn't have been bad it would have been looking like an hour and 10 minutes per episode mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so yeah i think i think that's that's my one apprehension with this is is if you're gonna do four episodes please have them be long especially because like we're all clamoring for the series and i want as much content as i can get at once uh and it's probably going to be a weekly release again so please just uh like an hour and a half long episodes, I don't think it's asking that much. It's a mini series, you know, they should be that long. So, uh, another piece of exciting news is the new Poe Dameron book. It's happening. So, I think everybody uh, that enjoys Poe as a character, which is almost everyone I've ever met, I don't think I actually know anyone that doesn't enjoy him, but I'm sure there's someone out there who's a dope. Uh, but, point is, um, when. We saw Poe and Zora Bliss um, 
or Zori Bliss. I thought it was Zora. I, I'm really proud of Jim and I for not jumping on you. I wanted to, but I didn't. It is Zori. Okay. Zora the Explorer? <laughs> um, I thought it was Zora for some reason. Either way, Zori Bliss, excuse me, uh, when we saw her and, of course, everyone's new favorite puppet from Star Wars that's given Baby Yoda some serious competition is Babu Frick. Hey! So, the new book is going to cover uh, Poe's relationships with those two and how he was um, doing, you know, he was on the wrong side of the law running Spice, which, if you're not familiar with, is a really bad drug from the Star Wars universe. Yeah, it's also, um, so it's being written by uh, Alex Segura. I don't know if that's how you pronounce his name, but it's a fun way to do it. Um, he is, I believe he's the editor-in-chief of Archie Comics, and he also is obviously a novelist. So, uh there, you know, it's a, a pretty awesome author to have behind uh, Star Wars. It's going to be a young adult novel because um, it's going to take place in Poe Dameron's uh, late teenage slash early like twenties years. Um, but yeah, I was reading through the synopsis, and I'm really excited. I, I'm especially excited for you guys to read the book and tell me what it's about because I'm terrible at reading books. I don't recognize the author, so I think he may be new, at least to the uh, the author series um, for Star Wars. Yeah, it's I good, believe though. I think this is his first Star Wars book. Um, but yeah, it's it's good to get new blood in there. Uh, if you if you don't get new blood, it's going to get a little stagnant. So it is good to get somebody new, and he's like a super accomplished writer, and pretty excited about that. Plus, like any you know, my one mummer with this is I was hoping it was going to be a comic book series, but uh, no, it sounds awesome, and and I love the fact that they're going back and they're exploring more of these characters. And I hope that's a trend they continue. Um, Cause I know obviously Disney has said like, this is the end of the Skywalker saga movies from here on out. We'll want to focus on new stories, new characters, but uh, I really like the characters they brought in for the sequel trilogy. So happy to see that they're revisiting the one of the main ones. And I, I hope this is a trend that continues. Speaking of new characters, Jim, Resistance I'm not a new finale. character. The resistance finale has happened. It has happened. It, as of uh, our recording, recording on Super Bowl Sunday, it, uh, the Resistance finale was last Sunday, and so we weren't able to talk about it on our last podcast. Well, but you're the only one on the show that's watched it, so I, ha- I have watched it. I, uh, I break I've it been, down. I've been catching up, and we'll kind of go over Resistance as a as a whole. And I feel it was a very, very hit or miss um, series. But even on its highest highs, it never got close to where I thought Rebels was. And Rebels was by far my favorite of the, uh, at least the cartoon series, Star Wars cartoon series. And that, um, like, right off the bat, Rebels had me. Clone Wars, I was always hit on, hit or miss on personally. But Rebels, I feel like they, they fixed a lot of the issues that Clone Wars had where they kind of bounced around storylines. Resistance follows that same pattern where they're they're bouncing around storylines and they're not always feeling very Star Warsy. It's kind of its own it's trying to do its own thing and not really succeeding at that. When it hits, it's a pretty good show. Uh, I feel like the best episodes were when they were overlapping with The Force Awakens, but then this the second season takes place after uh the um The Last Jedi where the the Colossus, the ship they're on, is flying around the galaxy trying to run away from the First Order. And the the episodes this season were a lot better, but still they had some they had some misses. Um but they had some like really good episodes this season. I think towards the end they were starting to tie it in. My biggest complaint is that it still doesn't tie in with the Rise of Skywalker at all. It uh, it comes close. They mention Batu, which I feel like um, means that that part of the that part of the timeline they were overlapping with Galaxy's Edge content. But still, you're looking at like a few months between um, Galaxy's Edge and the Rise of Skywalker, and they they had some Kylo Ren moments, which were fantastic in the season finale. It was an hour long, but um, I I feel like. I haven't done this, but somebody can go out and go, which episodes of Resistance do I need to watch? Sort of like the <laughs> same thing with the Clone Wars. And if the the pro- with the, the Clone Wars, a lot of the episodes that you could skip still have kind of an impact or still kind of enjoyable. With the Resistance, I feel like you can cut out a good chunk of the episodes and you're not missing any of the storyline. Well, that's good. We'll, uh, <clears throat> we'll rely on you to uh, compile that list and, and bring it back to the pod. 
and let us know, and then we'll we'll watch the the new episode, the the, the need to watch episodes. Yeah, it's 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 one of those shows that I feel like had so much potential, and they kind of let down, especially by calling it Resistance, where it didn't really impact the Resistance at all. Like like the, you had a lot sometimes Resistance influences, but overall it was this group of people that were perhaps engaging with the resistance at times or wanting to help the resistance, but it wasn't the resistance. Seemingly nothing that Disney put out between the last Jedi and the rise of Skywalker did. And that's, I think one of my biggest problems with how they handled the franchise during this time period, besides Rebecca Roanhorse's um, uh, resistance reborn book, I haven't seen anything that has actually influenced what happened during, you know, that year time jump. Uh, And that's part of what disappointed me with this series and why I fell out of it so quickly is because like the events that were going on and it, like it didn't seem like it was impacting the universe at large. And it'd be one thing if the show was, sold to uh you know sold to us in a way that didn't make it seem like it needed to uh, be connected to that but that's the exact opposite of how disney sold it to us uh you know it was the events right before um the rise of skywalker or you know episode nine whatever they were calling it at the time this is right after the last jedi poe dameron's gonna be there these are resistance pilots you know um in disguise but it just seemed like we were so far into the first season and just nothing was really happening that was affecting events outside of their little bubble. Yeah. And even then, like they gave us a specific timeline. They said, for a matter of fact, that the first episode starts six months before The Force Awakens. And they, with such a definitive timeline, you feel like, oh, this is going to have like an impact. And it until they kind of until Poe comes back for BB-8 in one of the later episodes of the first season, it doesn't. Yeah, that that was I mean, you guys both summed up the whole reason when the reasons why I fell off that show. I think I, I got to episode four um, and, you know, comparing it to Rebels, which I, I agree with you, Jim. I, I do like the Clone Wars, I think, a little bit more than you do. But um, th- I think Rebels is fantastic. And, and the difference between Rebels and Resistance is they're obviously both kids shows, but there's nothing like there's a lot beneath the surface of being a kid show with rebels. Like it is, is a kid show that has soul and has heart and has like a really, really, really strong narrative behind it. Whereas resistance never felt like more than a, a star Wars kid show, at least in the four episodes I watched, which I know is a very small sample size, but it's just, I don't know. It didn't feel like you guys said, it didn't feel impactful. It didn't feel like it mattered. I didn't care about any of the characters. Um, it just, I don't know. It just it seems like they they missed missed the mark, which they did with a lot of things in between uh, the Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. All right. Well, I think that's gonna do it for our news. Uh, so sit tight. We got a great interview coming your way. You're gonna learn about Legends. You're gonna learn about uh, the Mandalorians and a few other little tidbits of the Star Wars universe. So coming up next is Abel Pena. All right. Well, Abel, I think it's time we talk about you. Yeah, brother, I'm ready. Um, so I I'd, I'd love it if you could just kind of give us the origin story of yourself and the the Star Wars franchise and how you got started with Star Wars. Yeah, okay. Well, uh I'll try I'll try to give you the short version. Um so basically, I think uh, not to take it too far back, but um I think I probably uh, so I was born in '79, and uh, so after, so after Star I, can Wars. Can you go back any further than that? <laughs> My parents brought me home on a Tuesday. <laughs> so after Star Wars had already dropped, you know, as like the the cultural phenomenon in '77. So I got exposed to it around two or three. You know, it was like VHS tapes and stuff like that, and it was pretty. I mean, even at that age, it was essentially pretty life altering. And, you know, I went to go see Return of the Jedi, you know, in the theaters in 83. It was a hardcore uh, Wicked the Ewok fan. And then, you know, it just kind of left a very strong imprint in my mind. I would watch it tons uh, at home. But, you know, you're a kid. You know, you move on to other things, He-Man or whatever else. I was pretty big into He-Man. But kind of fell out of it after, what, 
the Ewoks movies or the Droids and Ewoks uh, cartoon series, which was about 80, what was it, 85, 86, something like that. And then, um, you know, went through kind of my pre-adolescence and stuff like that. And then and then there was like a big push, like in 91, 92, 92 maybe, when they re-released, you know, the Star Wars movies like on VHS and stuff like that. And I think it was my grandma, you know, we were at Costco, which was what called Price Club back then. And it was there and I just felt that flood of emotion. And, you know, grandma was super cool. She picked that up. She she actually passed away just a couple months ago. But, you know, God bless her for, uh, you know, hooking me up with that because it ended up being quite uh, life changing <laughs> for my adult life. You know, I watched those movies, uh, shared them, you know, like I said, with my niece and my nephew and stuff like that. And then after that, I saw that there was a, what, the Heir to the Empire, like by Timothy Zahn, you know, I was like, oh, this book, um, it, by then it made it into like a, the paperback version. And then I discovered Dark Empire after that, you know, which um, has had a heavy influence on Rise of Skywalker. And, and then that's just kind of when I went back in down the rabbit hole. And, it, you know, I just got so much back into it that I eventually become, ended up becoming a, a writer for uh for lucasfilm doing official star wars work and uh it was just came from a place of very deep love where you know star wars was practically like my religion and for quite a long time and i treated it sort of that sacredly and that seriously so when i would uh do work for for lucasfilm you know it i treated the mythology or the lore in this almost reverential way and of course one thing that kept on popping out at me was, um, you know, from more my kind of like rationally inclined mind, was that you had these different authors that were telling these stories, but they weren't necessarily communicating with each other, you know. And uh, so you would get contradictions. Well, I mean, part of it, I guess it just kind of graded with on me. And, you know, in and, and whatever kind of like a, a itch that you, you know, have to scratch. And so once I started doing official work, it the funnest thing for me was kind of uh, reconciling these contradictions, what they call retroactive continuity or retcons now. And I was, you know, I was pretty darn good at it. So that that started uh, giving me a bit of a reputation in the in the fandom because you know you had these fans who were fairly knowledgeable and they were like i mean they're like check out what this guy's doing man he's like he's referencing this and he's referencing that and you know those two things shouldn't go together but somehow he made them go together you know he came up with this cool story about how to explain that and so i ended up getting quite quite a reputation for being good at that sort of thing and then probably um yeah probably the coup de gras ended up being Relatively early in my Star Wars career, I had already done, I think, maybe two two publications before I dropped uh, History of the Mandalorians. And so, but I wasn't kind of, you know, all this stuff was kind of backdooring it because, you know, really it was like, the, you know, the authors, you know, the novelists and, you know, the comic book writers that were kind of really doing substantial work in Star Wars, what, you know, I considered substantial work because they were the ones that were, you know, getting to add to the lore and, you know, make up stories. And I knew I wanted to do that. You know, I didn't want to just do like nonfiction type stuff where, you know, you're kind of talking about, you know, the universe out of universe, so to speak, as opposed to in universe. I really wanted to make up stories and, and add to the story. Um, of Star Wars. So I was not quite cracking through, although fans were already starting to notice me. Um, I'd done a piece on the sort of the Emperor's Darksiders, you know, like, and uh, another thing on like the Grand Admirals. I did that with my my good buddy, uh, Daniel Wallace, who was also kind of, you know, doing a lot of this similar lore contribution stuff. But I wasn't quite cracking through. And then I had heard that Star Wars Insider what, had just been like Bought, like they got new a new editorial staff or you know they were bought by a new company uh, IDG entertainment and they were the people who were doing game pro at this at the time I don't know if you guys you know know about those old video game magazines and stuff oh of course I remember going to borders to pick those up with my mom exactly and I think ID, IDG was the the company who was running insider <laughs> right before Titan who was running That's it correct. now yes yeah 
Um, I do believe that's correct. Yes. And then the, so I was like, all right, here's my plan, man. I was like, I'm going to San Diego Comic Con and I'm going to, you know, find these guys and I'm going to hit them up and I'm going to sell myself and, you know, so get, you know, get on this path where I'm getting like publishing more, getting published more regularly. And so, you know, I was living in Orange County at the time and, uh, which, you know, basically you know, right outside Los Angeles County. And uh, drove down to San Diego, and I was kind of on this mission, you know. And uh, back then, you know, San Diego Comic Con was not the beast that it has become now. You know, uh, Hollywood had not quite converged on it yet the way it is now. So cannibalized um, it. <laughs> so um, you know, I made it. I made it in there, and uh, I think it was like the StarWars.com booth or something like that, and the Star Wars Insider people were there. Were there. So I was able, you know, I was like, all right, you know, take a deep breath. You know, it's showtime. I went over there to talk to to the editor. I think he wasn't there the first time I went, but then come back an hour later. So I did. And then the guy's there. And then I was like, hey, man, how you doing? You know, uh, my name's Abel G. Penyon. I've done, you know, I've done this Star Wars stuff and I would love to write for you guys. You know, I love Star Wars Insider. And I think I could really, you know, write the heck out of this. They said, oh, thank God. Like, yeah, we're looking for writers. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. You know, I didn't say that, but in my head, I was like, yeah, I was like, oh man, I'm in. This is beautiful. You know, so they're like, yeah, yeah. And, you know, they were kind of like young guys because they're like these video game guys, you know. So we hit it off and, and they're like, you know, let me, you know, let me take your information. They're like, yeah, get in touch with me and this and that. So, they asked me to do uh, a nonfiction piece, which was, uh, I think, THX 1138, uh, George's first uh, theatrical movie. He was releasing that on DVD as the director's cut. And uh, they're like, you know, do this for us. And I was like, all right, all right. You know, I can kind of, I can, you know, do uh, do this grunt work right here. And then, you know, I was just hoping that they would let me do something that was more lore related. And so, you know, I did that, turned it in on time and, you know, they were very happy. And they're like, all right, what else do you want to do? And I was like, bingo. I was like, here we go. So um, I pitched a few things. I, I don't even remember exactly what I pitched anymore besides what they ultimately you know, said, yeah, go for that. But that was the history of the Mandalorians. And so uh, this was around 2004. And they're like, I was like, hey, you know, every, you know, and back then it was all about Boba Fett. You know, it wasn't strictly speaking about this culture of Mandalorians. Just everybody wanted to know about, you know, Boba Fett. And he was a huge, you know, thing in the fan base. You know, a lot of us older fans kind of remember just how hardcore, you know, the the love for that character was. And by then, uh, episode two, Attack of the Clones had already come out. So we got a little bit more info about him. You know, now we found out that he was a child during the Clone Wars. And, you know, we got to meet his father, Jango Fett and stuff. So it was just kind of ripe. And I, I was very determined to kind of contribute to the mythology in a way that, you know, I thought was significant. And so I was really trying to figure out how can I do this? And so I was like, well, you know, people haven't really, I was like, we know kind of Boba Fett's background now, you know, so, uh, you know, we should be able to kind of learn more about him, like at least incidentally or, you know, implicitly by way of like his people, his culture. I was like, so who are they? And up to that point, there was basically, you know, there was like, They'd thrown a bone to like the you know the fan base like here and there like you'd be one-liners about you know Mandalorian this like a Mandalorian crush gaunt uh, this is like kind of like a glove that's just um, you know made for crushing things or something like that skulls uh, yeah and uh, you know they'd mention uh, the Mandalorian Death Watch at one point that was like a one-liner in like the Western Games Imperial source book you know sort of a just this lore guide. And you'd had uh, Kevin J. Anderson did a little bit like with the ancient Mandalorians about 4,000 years before A New Hope in uh, the Tales of the Jedi series, one of those series. And then uh, the Knights of the Republic game piggybacked off of that comic series. And, you know, they did their video games. And uh, I think they featured the Mandalorians for, you know, for part of their game, too. And so I was like, there's all these pieces here. I was like, but nobody knows what the story of these guys are or who they are, really. You know, it's just kind of like little teasers. So I was like, I, I was like, let me do like the whole history about these guys and explain who they are. And, 
IDG Entertainment, they're like, yeah, that sounds great, man. Yeah, Boba Fett, Jango Fett, you know. So when you pitched that, did they have any idea of the scope that you were looking to encompass with your work or 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 did they say like yeah we want like a we know boba people loves boba let's let's give more boba (laughs) so you're right right i think it was predominantly you know jim's take but i did have to send an outline that kind of gave an idea of what you what i have in mind right but the outline is what like 200 250 words you know what i mean so there's only so much you can communicate i think the idg guys you know i think they were star wars fans but they were not like hardcore super star wars fans you know what i mean so i don't think they exactly understood what i had in mind but i mean i had to outline it so they had the gist i don't know if that outline had to also be approved by lucasfilm i imagine maybe it did at that point you know i mean it definitely had to approve the final product but i'm not sure how involved lucasfilm was with like the pitching stage you know so so when you, so when you turn that that final product in how how many words <laughs> are we looking at compared to the 200 word outline yeah so they gave me i believe let's see I believe it was about 5,000 words, I think is what it was. And I, I think I clocked in right around there. Uh, it was maybe a little over, like a few hundred words over. And I had to, you know, lobby my editor. I was like, don't, don't, I know I'm over, man, but don't cut this. Don't cut this. You know, I'm like, you know, everything is kind of like held together in this intricate way, you know. And, you ended uh, up with uh, the the articles like ten pages long in a magazine. It with, was massive. With, yeah. with, with images, obviously, uh, from from uh, I think Joe Caroni. Yes. Yes. Um, so, but yeah, yeah, it's not it's not a short article. If anybody knows how long insider articles can uh, can take up in just physical space. Yeah. A little bit. And, and this is the thing too, though, man. They had just gotten you know the taken over the magazine, so. They were actually trying to figure out how to fill pages at that time. I mean, the the previous like two issues, they were like a little sparse, you know, it was a lot of like kind of filler, like very big pictures, not a lot of text. So actually they were like excited to like have that much content. It's just that they budgeted in terms of payment only you know so much you know what i mean like uh, they could only pay for so many words so that was actually the greater concern from their end yeah when i told them i was like so joe i had worked with him on the two previous projects that i did and so i was like so i I let him know i was like joe man i think i think i can hook you up you know i think you can get in on this and uh, he's like yeah yeah uh, he's like let them know man you let them know what i've done and he he might i don't think he had quite done something for insider for that editorial staff yet at that point i could be wrong about that but he was like you know it's like yeah man i'm gonna you know i'm gonna illustrate the heck out of this so yeah we just kind of you know combined our powers and it ended up dropping in early 2005 and man that just went off like a grenade you know like a thermal detonator nice nice (laughs) you know we, we, including myself, you know, we just always wanted to know about Boba Fett's background. You know, who are these warriors of the Clone Wars? I think that's how they were first mentioned in uh, Donald F. Glutz, uh, Empire Strikes Back novelization, like in a one-liner, you know, like these evil, evildoers or evil warriors or something like that during the Clone Wars. And I think there was a segment of the fan base, too, that was really like, I think a lot of us had imagined the Clone Wars to be something you know, we all had our own version of what it might be. And we were kind of very excited to find out. And I think I think the way George ended up going with it was much more conventional than I, maybe a lot of us expected. You know, I know for my, for my part, I expected this total chaos, man. Like, just you didn't know who was an ally. Like, maybe your buddy was a clone. You know, sort of like this Battlestar Galactica Cylon type of... Oh, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, just I just imagine it was crazy or, you know, just clone armies on both sides. Maybe Jedi were clones, you know. So I think people were also excited about the idea of maybe like trying to get, you know, a piece of like that old idea of like what maybe we imagined like clones and Mandalorians and how that all works and, you know, what that was supposed to be. Because, you know, we thought the Mandalorians were going to be a big part of the Clone Wars. And then it sort of ended up being true. But 
not necessarily in the sense of like tons of Boba Fett's running around. You know what I mean? So when you turn this in, you know, obviously you put your name on it, you're handing it over, you're proud of the work that you've done, but did you have any inkling of how big of a deal this was going to be when you turned it in? So I still have some of like the the old emails um, that I traded with my editor back then, and I, I looked over it recently, and I, I think after I was done writing it, definitely at that point, I was like... Oh my God! I think this is gonna be big. Uh, I think this is gonna be pretty important. But you know, at the same time, like you, you dare not dream too big. You know what I mean? Because set yourself uh, up to be disappointed. Exactly. Exactly. But but I, you know, in my heart of hearts or whatever you want to call it, I felt like I was I'd kind of gotten hold of like a live wire, and um, and so I actually told my editor. I said. Uh, you know, I was like, you know, don't, don't, <laughs> I, I, you can't really tell him, don't touch it. You know what I mean? But more but or less, don't touch it. To, <laughs> yeah, but I was more or less trying to tell him that I, th- I said, I think fans are going to go cuckoo. Uh, I think those were my words uh, over this. And I was like, and I will bet my paycheck on it. So <laughs> that was a, that was pretty much how move. sure I was by that point. Yeah. So, so um, oh, yeah. go ahead, Jim. Uh, so this is actually something like that we are we're still feeling the repercussions from this uh, th- this article that you wrote nearly 15 years ago yeah. in the 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 Mandalorian series and like the, the what you had uh, kind of pieced together and, and started is now now constantly coming back and is even even more of a big deal now than it was even back then I think. Yeah, yeah, that's um, that's even something else that I didn't expect. I mean, and there's there's certain fans that you know that I'm close to that kind of still remember, you know, kind of like the like ex- you know the explosion that that kind of made. But you know, the fan base has also gotten so much larger and stuff too. Um, so there's tons of people that don't know, you know, what kind of the the origin of this explosion of Mandalorian fandom comes from. I remember, I like I said, I was going to these conventions and I, you know, made it to like, uh, I think back then it was like Star Wars Celebration 3. I think it was in Indianapolis. But I, I went there. It might have even been Celebration 4 in Los Angeles. But around that time, you know, I showed up to like some... It was maybe like a like expanded universe novels that were coming out and stuff, and they were going to feature more Mandalorians because um you know Karen Travis really ended up grabbing that baton and like running with it quite hard. And I remember just being in the you know the hall or wherever they were doing that, and then just tons of people started filing in, like all wearing Mandalorian armor, and I was like, what in the what is going on? Like you know I just I'd never seen that at any of the conventions I'd been to, and I was like. I think I think I I think I did this, you know. <laughs> I was like, I think uh, I think this is I have a hand in like you know kind of bringing this you know to the fore and into the mainstream of the fandom, and uh, so I eventually became friends with Tom Hutchins, who is the founder of um, the Mandalorian Mercs, which was um, a name for an incarnation of the Mandalorians throughout their history that I came up with, and he he. He read the, you know, history of the Mandalorians and, you know, it was soon after that, you know, he, you know, it it strongly helped to inspire him to uh, begin the costume club, uh, the Mandalorian Mercs. And he, you know, he just uh, started this whole place, you know, where basically you could concentrate, you know, your love for Mandalorian lore and stuff. And so, um you know, all these people started like joining that costume club and, you know, and that just kind of helped to really, uh, explode, uh, this, you know, the fandom as well. And so, um, so yeah, I, uh, he's a great guy. Uh, he's, he's, his character as the leader of the Mandalorian Mercs is, uh, Mandalore, the uniter, which, you know, was something else that I, uh, that I did in the, uh, in the history of Mandalorians. I wanted a way to kind of refer to the leader as uh, as the Mandalore, but you needed a way then to distinguish, like, all right, well, you can't just call these guys Mandalore. Like, how are we going to write about these guys? How are we going to explain to people who these guys are? So I was like, all right, well, you know, there can be like a sort of 
adjective that, you know, sort of fundamentally sums up like who this guy is, you know, so you came up with, I came up with Mandalore, the indomitable Mandalore, the ultimate and like the, which by the way, just because I was a big WWF fan, it was actually a shout out oh, to my really? hero, the ultimate warrior. Um, but, um, but yeah, talking that's to just, the right guy. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, that was just a little nod. I don't think I've actually ever told anybody about that. But, that is such um, a great fact. Yeah, yeah. So, but I thought e- exclusive this is a way, here. Yes, yes. That's <laughs> a way to write to about that. Distinguish these guys. So, um, yeah, and it just kept growing, you know, from there. Because now that you had the costume club, of course, then, like I said, it was a place where people could really latch onto it and just, you know, indulge their Mandalore fandom and Tom Hutchins. He always gives people like a when they first get into the club, he's like he gives them a few texts. And one of them is like the history of Mandalorians. It's like, you know, this is our sacred text. Like, you know, <laughs> take this, read it, learn it. You know what I mean? And, yeah, how uh, humbling is that? That something you wrote has inspired and touched like this many people and, and all these, you know, you know, it's one thing to read a story that someone wrote and you said, oh, OK, I really enjoyed that. But it's, you know, inspired people to form a club you have people at conventions dressing up and you've had all these other creators take the baton that you created and run with it and expand to become probably one of the most beloved part uh, parts of the star Wars franchise. Yeah. I mean, well, especially with the show now, I mean, yeah, I was talking to, to Susie and I was like, I think, you know, this thing is kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of leading the way now. And I'm like, this is outrageous, you know? So, um, it, it, it's, it's 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 somewhat overwhelming actually especially now that the show has come out really sort of like understanding you know how it started and how um you know like basically me putting the skeleton together in history of the mandalorians and just sort of saying this bone goes there that bone goes there and this is what it looks like you know this is the mythosaur so to speak you know what i mean it's it's actually overwhelming i haven't uh, completely processed it to be frank but it is immensely humbling to to be a part of that and to think like you know to that i help like set this off so um yeah it's it's super super cool yeah, the term Mythosaur too, uh, you coined, right? Which was actually used in the Mandalorian series. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there there are several things in the in the show that actually originate with that with you know that original story I did. The Mythosaur is probably like the most easy, like yeah, like oh yeah, that word itself, you know, was uh, coined by me. And when I was trying to, uh, I mean, what I was really trying to do, I was like you know, you had that Boba Fett symbol, right? That like skull. And, um, you know, a lot of, I found out, you know, listen to your guys' podcast, Jim, that you've got, um, a tattoo of that. And, uh, I've got, you know, I've got a buddy that was telling me, I was like, Hey, you know, my homeboy, he has, he has this tattoo on his skull, you know, (laughs) on his head, on his shaved head. And he like sent me a picture of that. And I was like, whoa, yeah, he's, I was like, yeah, that that's the mythosaur. I invented the background for that. You know, everybody was kind of trying to do their thing and, you know, kind of put their mark on that. And so I was like, I think it was like in the old, what was it, the Star Wars fan club, you know, maybe the, even the, the magazine or the newsletter or something like that. They had, um, they had, I think, said that it was a Bantha skull. And, you know, I, I grew up with that for several years and I, I just, it just didn't convince me, man. I was like, dude, Banthas do not look, you know, do not look that cool. They have like the curled horns and like this, this, you know, symbol is way cooler than that. It's gotta be something cooler than that. And so I, you know, I thought there was this old, uh, Marvel comic and there was, they had something called the city of bone and it was on, on the planet of Mandalore. You know, and, you know, part of what I had to do in the history of Mandalorians was try to reintegrate, like I said, you know, trying to trying to remove the contradiction of some of these very old Marvel comics. And so I was like, I loved those. And I was like, how can I sort of reincorporate this? And so there was this thing called the City of Bone, and it was basically looked like a giant skeleton um, of some creature. And they had turned it into a city. And so I was like and it didn't have it didn't have the tusks right or the horns and i was like um 
how like I, you know what though i was like i it would be way cooler if what if that was you know a creature in the mandalorian past you know that they're now extinct now or something like that you know it's missing the horns i don't know why maybe it's a female maybe they've just rotted away like the sphinx or something you know the sphinx's nose and i was like and what if you know now what are you going to call something like that and i was like well you know when you're dealing with star wars you kind of have to dial up to like you know level 11 right it's like just a little bit crazy and i was like well you know it's kind of dinosaur looking like and I, you know i was like oh how about a myth like a mythosaur like it's from the mythological past and i was like yeah that's that's great i was you know i have like the notes and i was like mythosaur question mark and i was like yeah i think that sounds great so i was like this is way cooler as an origin for you know boba fett's uh you know skull symbol i was like yeah let's let's sell that and so um and so yeah and that i think it it really hit uh, hit the mark, and the fans were like, "Oh, that sounds so awesome," you know. And so, um, I actually think, you know, like I said, a lot of other people ran with Mandalorian stuff afterward. Dan Wallace, Jason Fry, and Ryder Windham were all buddies of mine. They did a thing like the Bounty Hunters Creed or the Bounty Hunters Code Book or something like that. I think Dan did the there was specifically a Mandalorian section. And they actually got an illustration of a mythosaur uh, in there, and it looks it looks pretty dang cool. That that was that was awesome. Yeah, so to be able to do that. We know the mythosaur has been carried over um, into current canon from Legends because of you. What are the um, biggest pieces that you helped create that are still in official canon now? Yeah, that we're seeing. Um, the mythosaur is probably like the easy target. Like that's just the one like you, oh, right. That's like right on target, right out of there. But I would say that there, there's actually several things from the TV show that I'm like, oh yeah, that's mine. That's mine. The stuff that they, that they did with the Mandalorian iron or what they're calling the Beskar, that actually comes out of, uh, the history of the Mandalorians, uh, as well. Oh, very cool. Yeah, so the um, you know, the kind of the ritual surrounded around it, like how like how durable and tough it is. You know, you you got a uh, Mando like taking these hard hits and stuff. You know, and the armor stands up to it. That was that was all stuff that I came up with. Uh, although I should mention the word Beskar. You know, you do not find it in history of the Mandalorians. That was Karen Travis. She ended up doing a lot with like the Mandalorian language, and so she ended up giving Mandalorian iron Mandalorian language, you know, name of Beskar, but, uh, but it's properties, it's kind of, it's, you know, the ritualistic aspect around it. You know, I, I wrote that it was like this secret passed on from, you know, one generation of blacksmiths to like another and stuff. And actually the, this is actually pretty funny. The reason I made Mandalorian iron so tough which it's, you know, sometimes it's almost like a game breaker, at least the way it was used in the expanded universe. It was because, this is one of those sort of serendipitous things, but there was these old uh, Star Wars books. They were called uh, the Glove of Darth Vader series, or I, I think fans ended up adopting um, something like the Jedi Prince series or something or the like that. Triocula series. <clears throat> yes, those, yes. Those books alone almost drove me away from Star yes. Wars. I've they, never even heard of them. There's, so there's a couple of camps, uh, like two camps that really uh, in the fan in the fandom that really took different attitudes towards these. Both essentially agreed, at, and I'm only I'm only uh, reflecting what was the prevailing attitude in the fandom. This is not my personal opinion. I just want to put that disclaimer on there. There was one camp that said, "Man, these books are terrible, right? <laughs> They're like so badly written. They're so cheesy, right?" But there was another strong, you know, strong opinion about like, yes, they are, but they're so bad that they're awesome, right? <laughs> like it was that so bad it's good type of attitude. Because, so wrestling? Yes, yes. I, you know, like I said, I was backdooring a lot of my contribution to Star Wars. I was kind of looking at these sort of weak points of like, well, what is, what are, what's something that people aren't really like touching or, you know, what are, where can I get in, you know, and, and these books were like a source of that. And so again, because I was so interested in reconciling contradictions, which to some extent could extend to the idea that, you know, something is a bad idea, right? Like how do you shore up or buttress 
I took a great deal of liberties with those books and in terms of trying to make them stronger, I thought. And one of the central ideas in the books is that there's this indestructible glove of Darth Vader that after the Death Star exploded, you know, Luke chopped off, you know, Vader's hand, of course, and then it just went flying and you don't know where it went. Well, supposedly there was this old dark side prophecy that, you know, the new ruler of the Empire would wield on uh, his or her right hand the glove of Darth Vader, and that this would be the symbol that, you know, indicated that they should be the rightful ruler of the Empire. And so that's kind of like the sort of what's pushing the whole, you know, uh, plot of, of those books. And so everybody, most people thought that was like rather silly, but I was like, oh yeah, watch this. So <laughs> I was like, uh, like I mentioned earlier, there was in an old Western Games book, they mentioned this Mandalorian glove. It was called the Crush Gaunt. And so I was like, all right. Oh, and by the way, in the Tales of the Jedi stuff, I think Kevin J. Anderson and Tom Veach in the Dark Lords of the Sith, they encountered this stuff, Mandalorian iron, and it was pretty tough against lightsabers. So I was like, all right, let's combine all these things. We'll make, you know, the Crush Gaunt made of micronized Mandalorian iron, and it's that'll make it super tough and almost indestructible, and that'll justify why this glove of Darth Vader is supposedly indestructible. And then the side effect ended up being that, thus, you know, Mandalorian iron, when used by the Mandalorians in their armor and their weapons or whatever, is going to be ultra strong and powerful, you know. So yeah, that's kind of how that happened. So quite the route from um, Darth Vader gauntlet to Veskar armor. Yes, yes. But but yeah, that's kind of how it happened. And then, then the other thing that probably a major thing that was uh, contributed to the TV show was that um, the the idea that to be Mandalorian is not so much a race but a creed. That's probably the other major thing that comes out of history of the Mandalorians because what I did in there was I made the you know the original Mandalorians to be sort of descendants of these uh, this alien race called the Tong and they were somebody that was actually introduced in the you might remember the Shadows of the Empire multimedia you know sort of event and uh, there was one of my favorite things about Shadows of the Empire was this thing called uh, the they did a soundtrack for it I think it was Joel McNeely or something like that. But I loved that soundtrack, man. It just was so immersive and just took me away to like, oh yeah, I'm really back in Star Wars now. They produced what they call liner notes for that, you know, sort of like the little booklet that comes with it. And that's where they explained where some of these, uh, some of the language in there was from this people called the Tong. And they were supposed to be this ancient people from, uh, you know, Coruscant uh, like 25,000 years ago. And I said, you know, I think I think it'd be really cool if the Mandalorian the Mandalorian race was originally part of these people, but that eventually I think you saw that there's some like religious fanaticism, you know, that kind of takes over them during a certain point in their history. And actually that goes back to another part of the Mandalorian TV show where he says, you know, uh, weapons are practically a part of my religion or whatnot. And what I wrote was that, you know, they made war was basically their religion. And uh, they became obsessive about that for a time. There was there was that. And but when that happened, then the original Mandalorian race realized that they were not numerous enough to kind of wage this holy war. They needed to open up, you know, to to other peoples which is where foundlings and such came came out of yes exactly so basically other other races you know yeah and you know and people that you would just come across as long as they were kind of willing to commit to the creed right then um then they were in they were mandalorian and eventually it became that the mandalorian race itself disappeared and then you know kind of humans ended up like taking over but there's still that commitment to, you know, the original ideas, the original code, the original culture, you know, which I call like the canons of honor and stuff like that. So, so yeah, those ideas from the TV show that, you know, like wars are, or weapons are a part of my religion and that uh, Mandalorian is a creed, not a race, uh, 
you know, trace trace back to uh, the history of the Mandalorians. So, Abel, I was wondering, since you had come up with these ideas, do you how does licensing work? Uh, just quickly, do you yeah. do you do you get residual checks uh, every time, like straight from uh, straight from John Favreau every time he uses right. a word that you come I, up with? I wish, man. Uh, I really, really do wish. Yeah, I think like their budget on the 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 show was like a hundred million dollars. Yeah, I think I think I was paid like. 600 bucks for uh the history of the mandalorians so yeah i'm like yeah if you could just hook me up with like one percent man that'd be that'd be dope that'd be, I'd really appreciate that you know you know when we when we do stuff like this it's you sign these uh these what they call work for hire uh contracts and that basically you know makes it so that uh whatever you contribute uh ends up becoming you know 100 percent owned by um by the the company that's you know uh giving you that contract and stuff like that so it does you know it doesn't it doesn't quite work like that uh or not at all but you know i money is very nice yeah it always is so that's that's the other side of the coin in terms of like you know the um you know it being like it's very humbling and you know it's quite overwhelming and stuff like that i mean i'm definitely open to like you know contributing more to like the mandalorian universe i think i would you know, destroy uh, to, you know, to be uh, somewhat humble about it. I think I do quite well in terms of contributing to those stories. But, you know, that's something that, um, you know, the fans would kind of have to want that and, and Disney would have to, you know, kind of reach out and stuff like that and, uh, you know, be like, yeah, you know, we, we'd, we'd love to like have you do this stuff again. But, um, you know, with, with the show, I think they've definitely got a big time success on their hands. If I could be, uh, you know, contribute to that in any kind of a way, um, I have spoken to, to you know, I've sent out some feelers, and uh, and I think there is some interest. It's just um, the show actually hadn't dropped at that point yet, and I don't think they quite knew what uh, what they had on their hands or how big it was going to be. Uh, you know, I'm definitely, you know, very open to having more conversations about that. It'd be wonderful to be able to contribute to to the Mandalorians or Boba Fett again or like Bounty Hunters or that kind of stuff. Yeah, there is a, a Bounty Hunters comic series coming uh, this year. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, it would be wonderful to be able to uh, to contribute to that. Um, you know, I, there's, uh, you know, there's, I, I've talked, I've talked to some people. So I, that, that it would be very nice if that was a possibility. Uh, it might be. Uh, that would be really cool. Yeah. Well, we'll certainly keep uh, our fingers crossed for you. Yeah, thanks. Um, Appreciate it. But speaking of contributing to Star Wars, I I know that um, you've put some feelers out. Yes, uh, yes. And, you know, we'll see what the future holds. But what are you actively, well, what can you tell us, if anything, about what you're actively working on right now? Right, right. Well, um, I, so I'll I'll try to, I'll do, I'll talk a little bit about Star Wars thing um, as much as I can. Um, This, this, this is not up and going yet, but it's something I feel very passionately about. And it's actually the thing I'd probably be most excited to do, you know, before sort of before the transition to Disney happened, um, I'd put together a, a Boba Fett story that uh, I'm quite interested in, um, in getting out there. And so, uh, that's, that's probably as much as I can say about that, but, um, yeah, I'd, I'd very much like to be able to do that. Fans who are familiar with my work know that I've always kind of had a particular Boba Fett story in mind. So that's, uh, it. I guess I'll say that it, you might say that it, it's like sort of say if you did an Clint Eastwood unforgiven version of Boba Fett, basically. And so uh, I, I have that, you know, uh, sort of ready to go. And that, that'd be wonderful if... Uh, if uh, Lucasfilm was, you know, down to like, you know, uh, go that route and stuff or or Marvel, you know what I mean? But other than that, you know, I've been working on, I'm working actually on a, some like non-Star Wars stuff now. In terms of science fiction, I've actually been putting together uh, a comic of that's like sort of an uh, alternate history uh, science fiction uh, comic, sort of a, you know, in a, um, around the American Civil War, you know, like that kind of like time period. I, I love, uh, I love the history about you know, that time period. And I just find it so fascinating and so relevant to like, you know, 
our country and even like things that are going on now and stuff. And so uh, that's something that I've been working on. And then um, I, I'm actually a very big boxing fan as well. Uh, I've been getting a little bit more into like a UFC and MMA just because it's becoming like a, you know, I see where it's going culturally. So at first I thought it was a little brutal, but, um, but, you know, they put in a lot of rules and stuff now that I think has, you know, helped to take out a lot of the, uh, you know, what, what people thought were some of the worst aspects about the sport. But boxing is really my first love in terms of a combat sport. And so um, I'm actually working on uh, a nonfiction book about boxing. I guess that's kind of how oh, I can Very cool. It. Yeah, thank you. And then beyond that, uh, mostly I've actually been uh, work doing, like I've been working in academics, you know, doing a lot of like research in uh, actually in the philosophy of science. And so um, predominantly, that's all been, um, I guess the, the catch word is kind of like quantum mechanics, or, you know, quantum, right? <laughs> and um, you say that stuff and people are like, oh, like trippy, you know, magic and weird and stuff like that. But um, it, it came to interest me a great deal actually through Star Wars. Um, I just found that as I was doing Star Wars, it was becoming more important to understand something about physics. I really didn't have a strong background in science. But all of a sudden you're dealing with like hyperspace and, you know, like, uh, you know, stuff, you know, the physics of like planets and stuff like that. And I'm like, all right, well, if I don't want to look like a buffoon, you know, in front of like the fan base who, you know, seemed like very educated, I was like, I better just start learning about this stuff. And then I did, you know, the Skywalker story that focused on a quote unquote genetics terrorist. So suddenly I found myself becoming more immersed in science and I was always interested in philosophy. You know, one of my degrees is in philosophy. So those things started kind of came together and I ended up hooking up with an old professor of mine, Jeffrey Barrett, who is the chancellor's professor of the logic and philosophy of science department at UC Irvine. And I was like, hey, I was like, what is this? What's this quantum mechanics stuff about? Because this seems really weird and, you know, really trippy. And I, I think I can figure out how it works, <laughs> you know, kind of this cocky attitude. He was like, yeah, sure. You know, uh, why don't you why don't you study with me and do research with me? And so um, at that point, now been doing research with him uh, for about the last, uh, what, seven years. And so I've become quite knowledgeable about uh, how that works. And I actually uh, help perform a what they call a comprehensive edit, you know, in um in professional speak, you know, where I was editing for style and uh, for grammar and for copy and also for content, you know, like math and stuff like that uh, on his last book, which is uh, called The Conceptual Foundations of Quantum Mechanics. And that's about to drop, I believe, uh, like next week or something like that. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah. So so that's uh, something that I I really want to I, I'm very excited about it, you know, but it is very niche. And, uh, but, you know, it's one of those things where I feel like even, you know, there was a time with Star Wars where, you know, like uh, with the prequels, right, with the Phantom Menace, where you had like these concepts about midi chlorians and stuff like that. And people were like, oh man, like, don't even, what is that? Like, so weird. It like demystifies Star Wars. But, you know, that was 20 years ago now. And I feel like, society you know with the internet and you know with the you know the increasing importance of like stem in schools and of scientific literacy generally i you know i think it's become much more part of our society and i think that i think there's really a place for that now in star wars and like you had these george lucas's ideas about like what what sequel trilogy might have been he was like it's about the microbiotic world and midichlorians and the wills and stuff like that and i know there was people that were kind of like oh man how are you gonna do a story about that and uh, it just seems really weird but you know i think you know taking those elements and you kind of just just put the right just give george lucas the right co-writer you know what i'm saying like and yeah. i think that will end up being uh super cool and on that on that note, I'll just say a lot of people think that, you know, oh, yeah, you know, the saga, it's like George Lucas's plan was originally uh, episode one through nine. You know what I mean? But that's actually not exactly the case, man. In his earliest interviews, you know, he used to talk about actually a 12 part Star Wars saga. You know, yeah, he's been all over the map with how many yes. movies he was originally uh, intending. Exactly. And so uh, I'm like, yo, man, when Disney wants to do 10, 11, 12, 
you know, in like another decade or two or whatever, it, it might not be a bad idea to, you know, try to incorporate, you know, some of these ideas George had about. I think by then, I think this, well, I, I hope, right? I hope. Um, I think the new generation will be much more interested in like scientific literacy and stuff like that. I mean, I'm, I think I feel like I'm already seeing that stuff. And when you got like Baby Yoda and stuff like that, and, like, well, why does why does the client want him? You know, and it's like people are speculating. Well, maybe it's like you know they want to source his midi chlorians and stuff like that. So I think Disney is walking kind of like yeah, they're they're kind of testing the waters and we'll see. But I definitely think that they're. Um, that that's becoming a much more mainstream part of society. And uh, I think it wouldn't be bad if, you know, Star Wars integrated a little bit more, just a little bit more, you know, science into their, uh, their storytelling. As a scientist myself, I can, I can, <laughs> I can uh, fully back more science. Yes, yes. All right, guys. Uh, that is probably one of the, I think, the best guest episodes we've ever done. Uh, as a huge Legends fan and a fan of the X-Wing series, uh, of course, the uh, Mandalorians as a piece of the franchise, uh, New Jedi Order, and countless other Legends books, um, I've been waiting to have a guest like this for a while. So, Abel, uh, I think I can speak for Jim and Connor when I say uh, that we really appreciate it and it was awesome having you on. Yeah, uh, thank you guys, man. It was an absolute pleasure. Uh, I've never done like a podcast before, so this was a little new to me. And uh, but you know, you guys were you know so awesome. Uh, you're absolute gentlemen. Thank you for inviting me onto the show and you know uh, giving me a space to like uh, talk about some of this stuff. It's been beautiful just being able to go back to some of those exciting times and you know how the Mandalorians got started and all that stuff and just. Uh, and then riding this this new wave, man, and seeing where it goes. So, uh, Jim, thank you for the invitation. And uh, JJ, it was a real pleasure, man. And, and Connor, uh, you know, uh, get well. And, uh, you know, hopefully we talk some other time. Hopefully he's well by the time this episode's yeah. released. Yeah. If we're lucky enough to um, see another Boba Fett or Mandalorian story from you in the future, maybe we can convince Connor to read it, even though there might not be pictures yeah i'll i'll keep it in mind though right pictures pictures yeah <laughs> all right uh we're gonna get out of here everybody so thank you for listening as always we sue uh we very much do appreciate it uh it helps the show out a lot if you can leave us a five-star review on itunes and share it with your friends uh, you can find the show in addition to three other wonderful podcasts on aiptcomics.com there is also a slew of pop culture and nerdy content. Of course, a lot of Star Wars articles. And you can get more on social media with us on Twitter at AIPTComics.com. Uh, Abel, before you get out of here, do you want to let folks know uh, where they can find you? Yeah, um, I c you can find me on Facebook uh, at Abel G. Pena. And, uh, and you can also find me on Twitter and on Instagram as the Philodoxer. And, um, yeah, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm on there in, in that kind of order on Facebook most, and then on Twitter and then on Instagram and yeah, definitely leave these guys five stars, man. This show is awesome. Um, so hook these guys up. All right, guys, you heard it. I mean, you, you can't say no to the Godfather of the Mandalorian, so you got to give us a five star review now. All right. Uh, but seriously, we're going to get out of here. Thank you as always for listening. We appreciate it and we'll see you next time. Bye, you killed.